Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Good morning, friends. Happy Mother's Day. You know, as I watched this video and I thought about um, Mother's Day, um, you know, sometimes it's not a happy day for all of us. I understand that. Um, as, I, as I thought things through, uh, many of you know that we had a fire in our house and it destroyed everything in the house, including pictures. Little did we know that my daughter must have went through at some point in time before the fire and took pictures of all my wife's many, many albums. She comes to us almost three months later and says, I have all these pictures on my phone. They were in the cloud, whatever that is. (laughs) And she went together and we have this little iPad, I guess you would call it thing, which has, I think it's close to 300 pictures, 250 anyway, on it. So in looking at those pictures, many of which I had forgotten, I understand and realize that being a mother is one of the most gifted jobs, if you want to call it that, a woman can have. So I applaud all the mothers. Let's bow our heads and as I tell the children, talk to Jesus. Father, we pray that your spirit of peace the peace that you give us, not that the world gives us, would be upon us this day. To all the mothers, fathers, and children, which are indeed a blessing from you. I pray, Lord, that you would be with my mouth today and that the words I speak would be your very words and not my own. Amen. How many of you recognize this song? Wow. (laughs) Y'all must be old. (laughs) And if you're wondering where I'm going with that, um, it's in Ecclesiastes 3. Those of us who know that. uh, The musical group, The Birds, brought that to light. And uh, believe it or not, 99% of the words... Uh, in that song are taken from Ecclesiastes 3. And the reason I I went there is, although we'll be in Mark chapter 13, it's because Mark chapter 13 aligns with Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And what's that? This is a glimpse of the end times Jesus gives us. And the reason I went to Ecclesiastes is to say there's a time and a season for everything. And as I thought these things through, I look at 
y'all out there and, and some of you that aren't here, but I know that you're going through seasons of difficulty and trouble. And everybody said, Amen. Yes. It's different times and seasons for our life. My wife and I went through a season as Ecclesiastes refers to a time to rebuild. So let me go right into Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is an occasion in, for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Let's pray. Father, we know there are times and seasons for everything. This has been going on since the beginning. But we take this time to cry out to you for those who are weeping, those who are hurting, those who have strife, disease, all which sin encompasses. We cry out to you in the same manner that those who you've written about have cried out to you. The woman with the issue of blood, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I know that I would be healed. The centurion who had the sick servant, if you just say the word, Lord, I know my servant would be healed. As Mary and Martha cried out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But as Jesus responded to her and said, your brother will rise again at the last day. And she said, I know my brother will rise in the resurrection. And Jesus responded by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He also said, in this time you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. To continue on, a time to laugh and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. Avoid embracing. Huh. Isn't that something? Stay six feet apart. Huh. A time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear down and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. You ever think about that? What's he talking about, a time to hate? Well, should we not hate what is evil? Maybe he's talking about that. A time for war and a time for peace. No one understands that better than a soldier. <clears throat> what does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in the hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from the beginning to the end. It's a mystery. I know there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that God has done, that everything God has done will last forever. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear, says the Lord. This is the point I want to make in this scripture. This is interesting. <clears throat> whatever is has already been, and whatever will be already is. Let me say that again. Whatever is has already been, 
and whatever will be already is. What do you make of that? What I made of it was God is outside of time and space. All these things that we see in our lifetime have already occurred in the eyes of God from the beginning to the end. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Something to think about in light of this particular verse is God has always existed. Wrap your mind around that. Always. All time. He's outside of time. We're inside of time. So, let's get on with the lesson. Mark chapter 13. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones and what impressive buildings. You know, as I thought about this, I I look at some of the churches, so to speak, maybe the courthouse, courthouses. The one in Washington has some massive stones in it. Granite, limestone. We look at some of the older churches, two, three hundred years old in this country, and maybe over in Europe where they're a lot older than that. But you know, as I thought about this verse, I thought about something my parents had said when they were over in Germany. And basically, my mother said the same thing. Look at these great, massive churches. And my dad said, yeah, but they're empty. So I did some research into what the temple stones might have looked like and might have weighed. And as a builder, I'm just in awe of these stones. And the research took me to most of the massive stones were weighing between two and a half to three and a half feet by 15 feet long, weighing up to 20 eight tons. But some were found to be 11 feet by 16 and a half feet by 44 feet long, weighing between 567 and 628 tons. Let me put that into perspective. One of the biggest bulldozers is called a D10. In a D10, weighs 85 tons. Stack those on top of one another. How did they move these stones? Jesus continues on to say, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. All will be thrown down. My thoughts are not did they, how did they move them to throw them down, but how did they stack them? Impressive. Impressive. And Jesus says of himself, he's the chief cornerstone. So you put the massive size of these stones for the temple, and you think about what Jesus said, I am the chief cornerstone, immovable. The cornerstone was set for the entire building. If you don't have a foundation that's built solid, guess what happens? Falls down, right? Falls down. Don't build your house on sand. Build it on solid rock. Going back to the analogy, Jesus is the solid rock. So, there's no mention of sadness in the temple itself, but what the temple stood for. So let's go to 1 Kings and find out what the temple, the first temple, stood for in the days of Solomon. See, David wanted to build the temple, but the Lord told him, nope, too much blood on your hands, but your son will build it. So when Solomon, in 1 Kings 9, verses 1 through 9, when Solomon finished the building of the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, 
and all that Solomon desired to do, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, just as he had appeared to him at Gideon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and petition you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, with the heart of integrity and in what is right in doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over the Israel forever. As I have promised your father David, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. If you or your sons turn away from following me and do not keep my commands, my statutes, and I have set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow down to worship them, I will cut off the land of Israel from the land I gave them, and I will reject the temple I have sanctified for my name. Israel will become an object of scorn and ridicule among the peoples. Though the temple is now exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and will scoff, and they will say, Why did the Lord do this to the land and to the temple? Then they will say, Because they have abandoned the Lord, their God, who brought their ancestors out of the land of Egypt. They had gone to other gods and bowed and worshipped to them and served them. Because of this, the Lord brought all this ruin upon him. And uh, it wasn't for 370 years that the Lord did this. As you remember the story, Nebuchadnezzar came in. And all by the way, God had warned them for an entire generation that he was going to do this. Sent prophets to them. They didn't want to hear it. So God brought this disaster. He brought the enemy Nebuchadnezzar in from the east and he destroyed the temple. Jesus is sad over the people. In Matthew 23, 37 through 38, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her, he's referring to the prophets of the Old Testament, preached nonstop, prophet after prophet after prophet. Turn your hearts away from the idols. Worship me. How often I wanted to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your home is left to you desolate. While he was sitting at the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will all these things happen? And what will be the sign of these things that are about to be accomplished? And Jesus told them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will deceive many. And we see that, don't we? Many are being deceived. Why are they being deceived? because they're not adhering to the truth. Over and over and over, God tells his people, he tells us through his word, stay with me, keep my commands. Does that mean the Ten Commandments? Jesus sums them up, doesn't he? Sums all the Ten Commandments up, all the commandments Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not hard. Yet we have all these outside influences keep picking at us, keep distracting us. Nothing's new under the sun, Solomon says. So, what Jesus said, 
How are we discern that? How do we recognize the signs of the times? In Matthew 7, Jesus speaks about that. Matthew 7, verse 15 through 20. Be on your guard against the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree, every good tree produces good fruit, but the bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruit. What they say. Is what they say align with God's word perfectly? Not a little bit, not 99%. Because remember, the devil, Satan, our enemy, the adversary, he's out to what? Kill, destroy, rob? He's a thief and a liar. He will quote scripture 99% accurate but in the turn, distorting it. Remember what he said to Jesus when Jesus was tempted? A lot of it was almost scripture, but it wasn't 100%. You will recognize them by their fruit. That's how we're to discern these things. So Jesus goes on in Mark 13, verse 7 to 10. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Mothers understand that, right? Amen? Okay. But what, what happens when the birth pains are gone? The child comes, right? Birth pains are gone. Beginning of birth pains. It's the beginning. Beginning. Not the middle, not the end. It's the beginning. But you, be on your guard. They will hand you over to the local courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me and as a witness to them. And it's necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. Remember the story about Apostle Paul when he stood before King Agrippa? And he witnessed to him? None of us really understand in this culture what a king is and the authority a king has. He has more authority than the president. Okay? He holds, back then, he holds all authority. He could do whatever he wanted. You see in Scripture where there were how many kings in the northern kingdom that were righteous? Zero. Their power and authority got to them. It corrupts. Be on your guard. Remember what Jesus told the disciples when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember what he said? Pray with me. Be on your guard. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. So he took Peter, James, and John a short distance from the rest of them, and he told them the same thing. Be on your guard. Why did Jesus say be on your guard? He knew what was going to take place in just a short period of time. They must have been awful tired because they fell asleep. 
Be on your guard against the false teachers, the false prophets. Don't fall asleep. Be on your guard. We're in a battle, whether we like it or not. We're in a battle against the enemy. And what better time for an enemy to come in than during a time of suffering and hardship in your life? That's when I'd want to come in. If I was the enemy, kick them while they're down, right? Stomp on them. Let's kick them down. Let's use this virus to kick them down. Yeah. We'll do that. Distraction. We don't have as many distractions as they did back then. Did they? Did we? Do we? All that. No. We're not being dragged out of our houses and being put on a cross. We're not being dragged out of our houses and putting uh, in front of a firing squad. A lot of distractions around the world. It's coming, though. We can see it. Jesus tells us, be on your guard. In Matthew 28, 18, 18 through 20, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Even until the end of the age. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, the end of the age. I'm with you. Remember the song we sang? It referred to, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. Some of the time, most of the time, always. Don't be distracted. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry about beforehand what you will say. Whatever is given you at that time, for isn't you that's speaking, but the Holy Spirit. And um, I like referring to John chapter 17. Jesus says to his disciples in John 17, 15 through 17, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. He's praying to his father, but you protect them while they're in the world. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just as I am not of the world, sanctify sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. See, it's not you that's speaking. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. And how are we to remember all things that we have been taught if we don't open up this book? We can't remember a thing. Right? Shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon mentioned in Ephesians 6. Double-edged sword, the sword of truth. Remember going back to Jesus and his encounter with Satan. How did Jesus, the Son of God, combat Satan, the all-powerful Lucifer? How did he combat him? He could have called fire down from heaven, consumed him. He's God. But he didn't do that. He combated, to give us an example, all of us who read his word, it is written. Each time 
Satan tempted him. Jesus replied, it is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Amen? That's what it boils down to. It's what God's telling us. It's what he's told his people throughout Scripture over and over and over and over and over. Worship the Lord your God and him only. Him only shall you serve. Jesus goes on in Mark 13, verse 12. Brother will betray, betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. It's not really a feel-good message today, is it? No. But it's the truth. A time and a season for everything. This is the last season. Is it the end of the time? Is it the last days? Only God knows. Preachers on TV will give you a date. They'll give you a season. They'll give you a time. But Jesus plainly says no one knows the time. No one means no one. The end times have been since Jesus was crucified and resurrected on the third day. People said during the Apostle Peter's time and the disciples, where is this Christ? Where's he at? You said he was coming back. Where's he at? Peter responded by saying, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day unto the Lord. He is not slow in coming. He will come in his time. So why is he waiting so long? As we look around at our friends and neighbors, one more person, one more person comes to Christ. One more chance, one more person. It's the only way I see it. Right? What if he would have came 100 years ago? I would not be standing up here. You would not be here. What if he comes 100 years from now? That's just that many more people who will come into the kingdom. It's the way I see it. So I, I stand with Peter and say, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. He's outside of time. We're inside of time. Jesus goes on in Matthew 10, verse 34 through 39. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? I thought he was the prince of peace. I thought he came. Well, let's read on. For I came to turn a man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. This is a really tough scripture. And if we didn't read the whole thing through, we wouldn't understand what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the same thing he's been talking about through the centuries. Worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Do not worship anyone or anything above me. I am above all things. That's what he's talking about. Sometimes we, it's not that he's saying we don't care and love for our children and for our parents. He's not saying that. He's saying don't put them ahead of me. Because in loving God, you will love your spouse and you will love your children. Because God is love. So what's he mean when he says, 
I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. It's not that season yet, is it? No. Just like he told Mary and Martha, it's not that season. He told them, if you believe, your brother will rise. Mary and Martha thought, well, yeah, I, I got it. My, my brother will rise in the resurrection. And Jesus makes it clear to him, I am the resurrection. That's who we look for to meet him. That's who Jesus is. He will bring peace one day but not now. As we continue in Mark 13, verses 13 through 20, you will be hated by everyone because of my name. We see that in our country, don't we? More and more. When I was growing up, it was just assumed who God was and what he stood for. We don't see that now, do we? We see the hatred among the people, among the nations. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Keep on keeping on. And when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and a man on the housetop must not come down or go in and get anything out of his house. A man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women who are nursing mothers in those days. Pray that it won't happen in the winter, for those will be the days of tribulation and the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved, but he cut those days short for the, sec for the sake of the elect. Do you see the urgency here God's talking about? When it happens, don't, don't go back into the house. Okay, The urgency of it. I, I tried to go back into our house when it was on fire to get some things. <laughs> That's not a good idea. And I got this verse because of that, the urgency of it. Get out. Flee to the mountains. Get out now. That's the way I see this here. Because he goes on to say, woe to those pregnant women and nursing and uh, mothers in those days. Or in the winter, you can see how difficult that would be. You may, can you imagine the chaos? And then he goes on to say, For those days of the tribulation, the kind that has not been since the beginning of creation. And we look back and see all the chaos that has occurred since the beginning of creation. Genesis 6, the flood. Sodom and Gomorrah, the plagues on Egypt. All these things are going to take place like never has taken place in all of creation. It's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. When you take this and to say, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and will never happen again. Let that sink in a little bit. All the wars, the rumors of wars, 
all the battles we've seen in history as we read the history books. Devastation, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, famines, viruses. It's going to be real bad. Nothing like today. It's going to be real bad. He's given a warning. This is it. This is where the rubber meets the road. Jesus said to his disciples, how long will I put up with you? How long will he put up with us? There is coming a day of reckoning. I used to say jokingly when we would do projects around here, and uh, it wouldn't go exactly right. Little mistakes here and there. Ah, don't worry about it. God's going to burn it up one day anyway. I didn't realize that in my life until January 22nd. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. You're right. He's going to burn it up one day. The abomination of desolation. People have theories on what that might be. Giving reference to um, here, let's see if I can bring that up. It is a phrase from the book of Daniel describing the pagan sacrifices of which the second century BC Greek king Antiochus, whatever his name is, Antiochus, replaced the twice a day offering in the Jewish temple, or alternatively, the altar on which such offerings were made. In the first century, it was taken up by the authors of the Gospels in the context of the Roman destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in the year 70 AD. With Mark giving Jesus' speech concerning the second coming, Matthew 24 as well, adding a reference to Daniel and giving a description of the Roman armies. When you see the Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, it is all three likely that the authors had in mind a future eschatological time event and perhaps the activities of Jesus in the last days. We don't know what exactly what it is, but it's not good. It's not good at all. Jesus goes on in Mark 13, 21 through 22. If anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform many signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. What's that? What's many signs and wonders? And leading astray. Well, it's not from God, right? If you're being led astray by these signs and wonders, it's not from God. Who is it from? Satan? Yeah? Is he able to do these things? Well, if we go back to Exodus, remember, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, stands before Pharaoh, Joel Brenner, throws down his staff, right? After the magicians throw down their staffs, God's staff, the Bible says, swallowed them up. And then about, what about the other one, the, the other plagues? The first three were performed by Satan. The last seven were performed by God. Why is that? I wonder why that is. Is it to show that God has supremacy over everything? Signs and wonders. Hmm. It's not good. 
not good. So, we've heard nothing but good news, right? <laughs> Here's the good news. Romans 8. Many of us have it memorized. And let me just add, it is good to memorize Scripture because you don't always have this. And contrary, to, you, you don't always have this or it's not working either. And so when you're tempted and you're put into a test, and we're all tested all the time, and God's people said, amen to that. Right, life, life is a test. So, Romans 8. Therefore now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's the key, in Christ Jesus. Jesus prayed in John 17 to the Father that those who believe in him as the Father is in him, and he is in the Father, he prays for his disciples saying, I pray that they will be in us. And how is that accomplished? Jesus said, when I go away, the Holy Spirit will come to those who believe. Right? He who believes in me will never perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, not believes that he existed at one time, not believes he was a good teacher, not believes about him, but believes in him, that he is who he said he was and is the Son of God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Where's the cross? There it is. It's off to the side. If there was any other way, then God would not have sent his Son to suffer a brutal Murder. Because the law of the spirit of life and death, Jesus Christ has set you free from that law of sin and death. But then what would she, what? Excuse me. But then are we to say about these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Who can be against us? We're children of the living God. Jesus told, you have no power over me. I can call down 12 legions of angels. I hand myself over to you of my own accord. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How, are, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised also in the sight and the hand of God who intercedes for us. He's interceding for us. He's praying for us prayed for his disciples he's praying for us believe in him who can separate us from the love of Christ can affliction distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written because of you we are being <clears throat> wow This just got bigger. Who is the one who condemns us? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, sword or, or danger is written because of you we are being put to death all day long and we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor the things come to powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now the God's people said, Amen. Amen. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, Everyone the Father has given me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Good news? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says in Mark 13, You must watch. I have told you everything in advance. So he gave us a warning. Just like the Israelites had a warning that Nebuchadnezzar was coming. He's going to destroy this city. Turn to me. You know, as you look through biblical history, God always gives his people a warning. Sometimes centuries. Hello? Then he began to teach him that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, chiefs, priests, and scribes. He killed and be killed. And after three days, he spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Then they left the place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him. In Mark 10, they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and the disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid Taking the twelve disciples aside, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. How many times did Jesus tell his disciples that he was going to be killed and he was going to rise again? That we, that's recorded here and just mark. He tells us over and over and over and over again things that are going to happen. Look at the fruit around you. What's going on? Pay attention. Don't be distracted by the events that are taking place. Focus on me. As I said in the beginning, I know many of you are going through heartache and suffering. Many of you, I don't know what you're going through. But I can guess everything and every day is not a bowl, bowl of cherries. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the, wor- <coughs> the world. And when Jesus would make a statement like this, he would say, do you believe this? I'll end with this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. And this is a warning. This is one of our last warnings. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Once for all, right? That's what the scripture says. Jesus died once for all. Not like in the Old Testament, they had to keep offering sacrifices daily, 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 daily. I guess that's all you would keep on doing. If you were the high priest, that's all, that's all you would do is offer sacrifices. You figure a million, two million people, 
That's a lot of sacrifices. That's a lot of animals. That's a lot of blood. Once for all. But a terrifying expectation, expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregards the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two and three witnesses. And we see that in the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And uh, we, we just see, you know, you, you, <laughs> you committed a crime, you got your hands cut off. You disrespected your parents, you were killed. And guess who was the first one to cast the stone? It was the parents. How much more worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, or who has insulted the Spirit of grace? where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? That's it. No more sacrifices. Jesus paid it once and for all. As the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. You don't know what tomorrow or even this afternoon is going to bring. You know, I gave a message similar um, to you don't know what the future's going to bring. And I said, you could, you, could, you could go down here on Water Dam Road pulling out from the church and be hit. And guess what? It wasn't long after that, there was a young woman who's no longer here anymore who was hit. And I thought, wow, I didn't prophesy that. You never know. As I said before, I look out on the folks here and many are suffering. You don't know when your last day is. God showed us that on January 22nd, didn't he? You never know. So always be prepared. Watch, as Jesus said. Watch, be on your guard. Don't fall asleep. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would take this message to our hearts. We ask those who would hear through the internet that it, they would also, their hearts would be pierced. As you've said in your word, Lord, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come with conviction according to your holy righteousness and justice. We pray this now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand.
now as we go out as the Lord spoke to my heart one time now that you know the truth personally the truth is a person now that you know the truth you need to tell others and the whole gospel will be preached throughout the world then the end will come those are the words of Jesus have a great day happy Mother's Day and may God bless you and keep you safe <laughs>